0: Greetings and welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mullett. Um, And so, as I usually announce at the beginning, uh, that you can visit our website at LogicalBelief.org. We have a new announcement uh, to give today, and that is we are moving this podcast to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. So I want to thank Tim Hurd and Len Pettis over there at the... Bible Thumping Wingnut for inviting me and asking me to join their network and so the content uh, for this podcast both the uh, content on the YouTube channel and in the podcast feed on iTunes will be moving over to uh, the Bible Thumping Wingnut so in the future uh, you will not find new episodes on my podcast feed but you will find them over on the Bible-thumping wingnut uh, feed in, on iTunes. So make sure that you subscribe to their feed and also subscribe to their uh, YouTube channel um, so that you will get uh, my updated episodes and also the episodes from other podcasts on that network over there. So I'm going to be, over the next couple of weeks, be moving uh, the content from LogicalBelief.org over to the on podcast page uh, over there at the Wingnut.com. And so you'll find the content over there um, Some of it is already over there, uh, but we'll be moving the rest of it um, And within several weeks, if you go to logicalbelief.org It's just going to redirect to the page over there at the Bible Thumping Wingnut So be expecting that This is the last episode I'm going to go ahead and publish on the my own YouTube channel uh, the Logical Belief uh, Ministries YouTube channel uh, Is the last one it's, that's going to land on that one um, And the last one's going to end up in the iTunes feed um, For the LBM podcast So uh, you can continue to reach out to me uh, uh, At my email address Jason at LogicalBelief.org uh, That will still be valid Um, And so those of you that want to ask me any questions, uh, send any words of encouragement, uh, go ahead and send those to Jason at LogicalBelief.org. I don't believe at this point we're getting any email addresses over there at uh, BTWN, but uh, we will see. So uh, that remains to be seen. So um, I think that is really all I have with announcements on that topic. Uh, So let's go ahead and play uh, this ad from Striving for Eternity.
1: Ding-dong!
0: Jehovah's Witnesses.
1: Ding-dong! Mormons! Christian, are you ready to defend the faith when false religions ring your
0: doorbell? Do you know what your Muslim and Jewish friends believe? You will
1: if you get Andrew Rappaport's book, What Do They Believe? When we witness to people, we need to present the truth, but it is very wise to know what they believe, and you will get Andrew Rappaport's book at WhatDotheybelieve.com.
0: Alrighty, uh, there it is, Andrew Rappaport's book, Uh, What Do They Believe? A uh, Systematic Theology of the Major Western Religions. Um, Andrew has been very kind to uh, send me uh, five copies of this book, which I will be giving out uh, not off of this episode, but um, the first episode I do over at the Bible Thumping Wingnut. I'm going to go ahead and do a drawing of some sort. Uh, that will give away uh, five copies of this book. So, um, if you win that, um, uh, my hope is that this will help you share the gospel with um, uh, Jews, Roman Catholics, Muslims, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Mormons, and so forth. So, great resource for uh, reading into what do these other religions uh, believe. Uh, so that you can contrast uh, what we as Christians uh, believe in comparison to uh, false these false religions out there so uh, if you don't win it I would still encourage you to go ahead and pick up the book I I bought one myself so uh, I would encourage you to do the same Uh, go ahead and spend a few dollars and pick up that great resource and then utilize it um, in your evangelism endeavors so um in light of this being 2017, and I believe this is my first episode back uh, in, this, uh, in 2017, I haven't done any other episodes this year yet, and uh, the fact that we haven't, uh, or the reason that I haven't uh, had very many episodes in the last several months is due to uh, renovating this room uh, and getting it set up as my office and studio. And so it's been a, been a mess in here, but uh, we're finally getting there, and uh, it's finally starting to come together, and so I'm uh, happy with it. So uh, we should be back uh, on regular schedule here um, in the future here to try to get out an episode at least every week, so... Um, So but uh, in light of this being 2017 and being the 500th uh, anniversary of the Reformation uh, coming up actually in particular October 31st is usually where we consider the beginning of the Reformation when uh, Luther nailed his 95 thesis his protests against the indulgences of the Roman Catholic Church and uh, some of the shenanigans of Tetzel. And he nailed his 95 uh, thesis there on the door there of the church in Wittenberg, Germany on October 31st, uh, 1517. So that will be coming up this year. So this year we're kind of considering um, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And um, recently I was listening to a sermon by Phil Johnson, and uh, he brought up the point that uh, he believed that uh, this time now is a period of darkness, uh, very similar uh, to the time of darkness uh, in the medieval times uh, before uh, Luther and uh, the other reformers came along, and uh, God's uh, work of providence in the Reformation through His Spirit um, changed that, and um, and that. That that period of darkness there is very similar to the darkness that we have today in the uh, in the Christian Church worldwide, um, and that uh, the Church today needs a Reformation just as badly as one was needed uh, back then. I think there's a little bit different reasons um, behind that. I think we have uh, uh, a need for Reformation not not as much away from the. Uh, uh penance uh, indulgence system of the Roman Catholic Church um, but we need a reformation uh, that uh, brings the church back to the true gospel away from these word of faith heresies uh, the charismania that's going on today everybody and their brothers getting a revelation from God um, and uh, this this uh, focus, and this is one of the things we'll even look at today um, on the topic that I'm going to be covering today, the, this hyper-focus on the the love of God as being an attribute that basically wipes out all of God's other attributes. And so we need a reformation in the church today, and so uh, we should all be praying that, uh, that God's Spirit moves and um, brings up, men in the same way as God uh, brought up Zwingli, Luther, uh, Calvin, and uh, Bootser and some of the other reformers uh, and brought them uh, and raised them up for such a time. And uh, we pray that uh, once again, we can have the same motto as they had during the time of the Re- Reformation as post-tenebrist Lux, after darkness light and we pray that uh, god's spirit moves again in that way so all of us who know the truth and understand the truth of the gospel let us be praying for a reformation let us be doing everything in our ability and capacities and the gifts that god has given us to um, reach the culture and reach the people around us for the gospel and pray for a movement of the spirit of god so today What I'm going to be talking about is a topic that really comes out of the Reformation and really um, builds off of uh, the work of many of the Reformers, uh, in particular Calvin, um, Beza, and B.B. Warfield, as it comes down the road quite a bit further, (laughs) uh, more recent times, but uh, that is looking at the atonement. Uh, of Christ what it accomplished and what uh, Christ did with his sacrifice on the cross and so what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, some of the historical theories of the atonement uh, some of the theories of the atonement that still exist today uh, in contrast to uh, the biblical view of the atoning work of Christ so um, I think that takes care of all the announcements that I wanted to make, so we'll go ahead and um, uh, jump into the presentation. Now, for those of you that are new to this podcast, in the past, when I've done presentations on particular topics, not always, but sometimes, I'll put together a PowerPoint, uh, which I then convert into a PDF, and I make available on the website in the show notes. I'll link it there in the show notes, so if you have any interest to to use this, um to, to use it for a presentation in your church Or Sunday school, I, you know, I don't care You're free to use any of the material that I post online um, You can reference me if you want to or not uh, that's, I just want uh, good solid material to get out there So I will go ahead and put that in the show notes um, And this podcast will post both on the Bible Thumping Wingnut uh, page And also on the LogicalBelief.org site Um, So the PDF will be there for your use so I'm going to go ahead and transition the screen here uh, to um, our presentation and so this presentation is on the atonement of Christ and so the question really before us and the question that we have to ask um, ourselves in which our theory of the atonement should be able to answer Uh, In a satisfactory way Is the question How does a perfectly good Righteous and just God Pardon guilty sinners Without violating his own Perfect justice As I've heard Paul Washer say One of the Scariest Attributes of God Is his goodness The fact that God is perfectly good We often think of this As one of the things that we um, love about God And we praise God for And of course that's very very true We do love the fact that God is good And the fact that he is good Is also why he is merciful But also because he is good He is also perfectly just And that's the thing that we often forget about uh, Scripture tells us In Psalm 1830 That this God His way is Perfect And that um uh, Psalm 145.17 says the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. But it also tells us, in so God's way is perfect, he's righteous and he's good. Uh, but it also tells us in Isaiah one eight that for I the Lord love justice, I hate robbery and wrong, and I will faithfully give them their recompense. Um, and so that is God's promise that he will be just and he will be perfectly just um, It tells us in Deuteronomy 32 4 that uh, the rock his work is perfect uh, The rock one of the many titles of God uh, for all of his ways are justice uh, A God of faithfulness and without iniquity just and upright is he So God is perfect in all his ways, and one of these ways is his justice. And so how does a God, the creator of this universe, who is perfect in all of his attributes, and in particular his attribute of goodness and justice, how can he pardon guilty sinners? Is there any way that he can do so? Uh, Recently in reading uh, Spurgeon's uh, autobiography, Uh, This question was one that was posed to Spurgeon uh, by um, a young man, uh, or it says here an Irishman. Uh, So I don't know if he was a young man or not, but uh, this here is um, the story here. So I'm going to go ahead and just read this. um, And this is from Spurgeon's um, autobiography. I could tell many stories of the remarkable conversions that were wrought in those early days. Once, when I was in the vestry, an Irishman came to see me. Pat began to make a low bow and said, Now, your reverence, um, I have come to ask you a question. Oh, said I, Pat, I am not a reverence. Uh, It is not a title I care for. But uh, what is your question, and how is it you have not been to your priest about it? He said, um, I have been to him, but I don't like his answer. Well, what is your question? Said he, God is just. And if God be just, he must punish my sins. I deserve to be punished. If he is a just God, he ought to punish me. Yet you say God is merciful and will forgive sins. I cannot see how that is right. He has no right to do that. He ought to be just and punish those who deserve it. Tell me how God can be just and yet be merciful This is really the question I've posed here um, uh, For this this discussion on the atonement Um, I replied that it is through the blood of Christ Yes, said he, that is what my priest said You are very much alike there But he said a good deal besides That I did not understand And the short answer does not satisfy me I want to know how it is that the blood of Jesus Christ enables God to be just and yet to be merciful. Then I saw what he wanted to know and explained the plan of salvation thus. Now, Pat, uh, suppose you had been killing a man and the judge had said that Irishman must be hanged. He said quickly, and I should have richly deserved to be hanged. But Pat, suppose I was very fond of you. Can you see any way by which I could save you from being hanged? No, sir, I cannot. Then suppose I went to the queen and said, Please, your majesty, I am very fond of this Irishman. I think the judge was quite right in saying that he must be hanged. But let me be hanged instead, and you will then carry out the law. Now, the queen could not agree to my proposal, but suppose she could, and God can, for He has the power greater than all kings and queens. And suppose the queen should have me hanged instead of you. Do you think the policeman would take you up afterward? He at once said, no, I should think not. They would not meddle with me. But if they did, I should say, what are you doing? Did not that gentleman condescend to be hung for me? Let me alone, sure. You don't want to hang two people for the same thing, do ye?" I replied to the Irishman, ah, my friend. You have hit it. That is the way whereby we are saved. God must punish sin. Christ said, My father, punish me instead of the sinner. And his father did. God laid on his beloved son, Jesus Christ, the whole burden of our sins, and all their punishment and chastisement. And now that Christ is punished instead of us, God would not be just if he were to punish any sinner who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. If thou believest in Jesus Christ The well-beloved and only begotten Son of God thou art saved And thou mayest go On the way rejoicing faith Said the man clapping his hands That's the gospel Pat is safe now with all his sins about him He'll trust in the man that died for him And so he shall be saved And that is Spurgeon And so that really Sums up Quite well Um The doctrine of the atonement of the gospel itself that Christ died in our place and that is how it is possible for God to pardon guilty sinners without violating his own perfect justice. So we want to look at the various ways that um, this problem was attempted to be resolved throughout the history of the Christian church. the, so we're going to look at some of the uh, theories here um, of the atonement. And I'm going to place them in two categories. Um, the first being universal theories and particular theory, of which there is really um, only one theory. And so um, of the uh, universal theories, there is... Uh, The Ransom Theory, and then kind of a subset of that, the Recapitulation Theory. Uh, The Moral Influence or Example Theory, and Christus Victor uh, Theory of the Atonement. Uh, Then we have the Satisfaction uh, Theory, uh, promoted by Anselm of Canterbury and uh, modified somewhat uh, by Aquinas. And then we have the Moral Government Theory uh, of the Atonement. And then of the particular atonement theories uh, We have the penal substitutionary atonement theory So uh, let's uh, move on with uh, some uh, Just going to make a few notes here at the beginning uh, Some of the things to be aware of That uh, all of the universal theories um, of the atonement Contain elements of truth They however are incomplete In answering the greatest question So the greatest question That I posed before Is how can God remain just And yet pardon the sinner And so As we go through Be thinking of that question As we go through the different theories And All the theories of the atonement That we're going to go through All have an element of truth Uh, Many of them are even True in and of themselves The problem is is they are not a complete View of the atonement um, All universal theories of the atonement uh, Do not have a complete and finished Work of Christ um, Man always has to complete What Christ started And so that is uh, really What every universal Theory of the atonement has Is that It is not a complete work It is not a finished work Um Man always, in and of himself, has to complete uh, what Christ began. Uh, Many universal theories of the atonement begin with a kernel of truth, but conclude falsely. Um, Another thing to keep in mind uh, when reading uh, any material from any pastor, theologian, or church father, um, that if they're espousing a particular view of the atonement uh, that does not mean it was their exclusive view. So I note here it must not be assumed that because a church father, theologian, or pastor espoused a particular view of the atonement, that this was to the exclusion of other views. And so, for example, we can see that um, Irenaeus uh, believed in the ransom theory of the atonement, but. Was that to the exclusion of substitutionary atonement was that to the exclusion and I would argue that no Um, He probably believed in the ransom theory of the atonement much in the same way that uh, uh, That uh, we Believe it today as even uh, reformed uh, theologians and pastors and teachers Uh, so The first theory that we're going to look at uh, Which is um When it's used exclusively is a universal uh, Theory Of the atonement and this theory Teaches that the Atonement of Christ was a ransom Sacrifice paid to Either Satan or death um, Or sometimes to God the Father But most of the time it's a payment paid to Satan And the theory would claim that Adam and Eve uh, sold Humanity to the devil uh, At the fall Uh, so God Was required to make a ransom payment To free us from the devil the devil didn't realize that uh, Christ would not remain dead, so he agreed to accept Christ's death as a ransom. And so as an exclusive theory, um, this has was held by some in the early church, um, is promoted by Origen. Uh, some Anabaptists would hold to this view. Um, and even today, some Word of Faith teachers like Kenneth Copeland, for example, uh, promote uh, this particular uh, view of the atonement, and uh, some of the scripture that would use like the term ransom would be like in mark ten forty five for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many and it tells us in first Timothy two five that there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So we see there the language of ransom being used. So if we look at this as being an exclusive, as this is all that Christ did, was that he uh paid a ransom, the sacrifice was a ransom paid to Satan or death um, or God the Father, then we have to once again our primary question, can God remain just and pardon the sinner? Uh, The ransom theory does not answer the question Of the justice of God Why would God pay a ransom To free captive sinners When their captivity is not unjust How does God maintain His justice if he Pays a ransom to free Guilty sinners So in other words The bondage of sin that sinners are in Is not a state where they are Unjustly in that bondage to sin Um so God is not, does not have an obligation in his nature to save any one of them. Um, and the question is, is how can God remain just and pay their ransom and free them and, and simply pardon their sin? Uh, if they're still guilty of that sin, has their guilt been expiated in any way by this? Now, the ransom theory of the atonement doesn't answer that question.
1: It simply says that a ransom was paid. Um, it doesn't expiate or atone uh, for their sin in the way that uh, we will look at penal substitutionary atonement. And so that is the ransom uh, theory of the atonement. Um, another uh, theory of the atonement um, is called the recapitulation theory, um, and in the recapitulation view of the atonement, Christ is seen as the new Adam who succeeds where Adam failed. Christ un- undoes the wrong that Adam did, and because of his union with humanity, leads humankind to eternal life and moral perfection. And so one of the proponents of this would have been Irenaeus, um, and he uses the the term, for example, recapitulation in his um, against heresies uh, volume. He says, uh, he has therefore in his work of recapitulation summed up, this is Irenaeus, Irenaeus speaking by the way, summed up all things, both waging war against our enemy and crushing him who at the beginning led us away captives in Adam. The enemy would not have been fairly vanquished unless it had been a man born of woman who conquered him. And therefore does the Lord profess himself to be the son of man, comprising in himself the original man out of whom the woman was fashioned in order that, as our species went down to death through the vanquished man, so we may ascend to life again through a victorious one. And as through a death, through a man, death received the palm of victory against us, so again by a man we may receive the palm against death. And so that was uh, uh, Irenaeus. And once again, this is really true uh, Jesus is seen as the new Adam Paul says this both in in um, he says this in the book of Romans for example chapter 5 and first Corinthians he says this that Jesus is the new Adam and for example we see we see Jesus who um, in contrast to Adam uh, Adam uh, was in a in a beautiful garden, he was healthy, he was well fed, and he was faced with temptation. We see Jesus, who instead is placed in a desert, and he um,
0: hasn't eaten in 40 days. And so he's weakened, and, yet, and he's tempted also. And we see this contrast where Jesus accomplishes and does what Adam is not able to do, Uh, Even though Adam had advantages in a physical sense um, that Jesus didn't have and Jesus accomplishes them. And so, in that way, the recapitulation theory is true. But once again, we cannot take it as an exclusive view of the atoning work of Christ. It is part of the whole. It is part of um, the whole work of Christ. And so... Once again, if we if we look at the recapitulation theory as the only thing that Christ did, uh, the the original question that we have is, can God remain perfect uh, in his justice is is really not answered again. If the atonement is only Jesus succeeding where Adam did not, how does this satisfy the perfect justice of God? How does this atone for the willful act, uh, sinful act of Adam, let alone? The rest of the human race And so This theory once again In and of itself does not Complete the work of Christ it Has an element of truth But to look at it as, the, as the Whole and complete work of Christ Is the recapitulation uh, Redoing uh, What Adam was not able to do is, is not a Finished and total work Of Christ And so the next uh, theory that we want to look at is the uh, moral influence theory of the atonement. And this is actually one that is uh, very popular uh, still today. And um, this view of the atonement teaches that the purpose and work of Jesus was to bring a positive moral change to humanity. This moral change came Through the teachings and example of Jesus Uh, The Christian movement he founded The inspiring effect of his martyrdom and resurrection It is uh, one of the oldest views of the atonement in Christian theology And has a prevalent view for most of Christian history And so you would uh, see uh, liberal Protestants hold to this Uh, Some Anabaptists would hold to this uh, Some early church writers Uh, Pelagians would hold to often uh, this particular uh, view. Uh, Peter uh, uh, Aberlard is one of the proponents of this. He was a theologian, a French theologian, uh, and philosopher that would have been contemporary with uh, Anselm of Canterbury, uh, which uh, we'll bring up here a little bit uh, when we talk about the satisfaction theory of the atonement. But uh, this view... um, is once again insufficient for what uh, Christ actually completely accomplished. Yes, are there things in which the work of Christ was an example to us? Absolutely, uh, we uh, would not deny that. Uh, the point is, is that is not a complete view of the work of Christ. So the question once again is, how is the justice of God satisfied? When sinners change course and begin to follow the example of Jesus, how does this satisfy God's justice for their past sins and their continued failures? I mean, you could use um, the example of, you know, a a criminal who's standing before a judge and he's like, well, you know, uh, there's this great guy uh, that uh, gave me a great example of how I ought to live. And, you know, I, I know I'm guilty of murder and rape and, and, but, uh, this, this other guy has given me a great example of how I ought to live, and so I'm going to change my life, Judge, and I'm going to start following his example, and so therefore I think you ought to pardon me. Now, if the Judge let that man go free, he is not a just Judge. That is not justice being performed. Um, the requirements of the law have not been satisfied. Uh, so the moral influence example theory of the atonement really falls short, once again, for really answering that ultimate question. Uh, so the next one we're going to look at is um, a more modern rendition of the Christus Victor and a little bit of the ransom theory of the atonement. Um, is, uh, is called Christus Victor, or Christ the Victor, is a view of the atonement taken from the title of Gustav Allen's book, Published in 1931, Gustav referred to this view as the classical view of the atonement. Uh, this theory says the atonement was a divine conflict and uh, victory over the hostile powers that hold humanity in subjection. The atonement is a drama, a passion story of God triumphing over the powers and liberating humanity from the bondage of sin. Gustav Allen writes, The work of Christ is first and foremost a victory over the powers which hold mankind in bondage, sin, death, and the devil. So you can see a little bit of the ransom theory of the atonement uh, falling in there. But this is the Christus victor uh, view of the atonement, and um, um, it is held by uh, the Eastern Orthodox, for example, would, would still hold to this. Type of view some Lutherans uh, some Anabaptists And liberal Protestants would hold to uh, uh, This View Um, Once again the answer to the question Is how can God remain just I don't believe has been sufficiently And satisfactorily answered with this View why should God Liberate guilty sinners from a Bondage to sin How does God remain perfectly just If he liberates guilty sinners who Require punishment Once again there. Their sin has not Been atoned for it has not been Taken care of Uh, they have Not been sanctified of it Um, uh, And there is no reason for God to liberate them uh, With this particular view As an exclusive view And so the next uh, One we're going to look at is the Satisfaction uh, theory um, Of the atonement um. So this theory uh, would state that. Uh, um, and actually, you know what? I was going to bring up something, and I forgot uh, when I was talking about the ransom theory of the atonement. So we'll go ahead and just jump into that. I was going to quote uh, a work, uh, or a, I got a quote here from John Owen's book, uh, "The Death of Christ." Um, let me actually grab that here. I would really encourage you guys to read this book. Um, it is put out by, um, I got this one here. This one's published by Banner of Truth. Um, but uh, grab yourself a copy of this and, and read this. Uh, this will really put to bed, really, uh, any objections to particular redemption um, quite thoroughly. And it's really never been responded to. Um John Owen says in this book, um, he says, uh, thirdly, it is contrary to reason, uh, speaking back to the ransom theory of the of the atonement. Thirdly, it is contrary to reason that a ransom should be paid for captives, upon compact for their deliverance, and yet upon the payment, those captives not be made free and set at liberty. The death of Christ is a ransom uh, matthew twenty twenty eight. Paid by a compact for the deliverance of captives for whom it was a ransom and the promise wherein his father stood engaged to him at his undertaking to be a savior and undergoing the office imposed on him was their deliverance as was before declared upon his performance of these things on that being done that the greatest number of these captives should never be released seems strange and very improbable. And so that is going back to the ransom view of the atonement, which um, I didn't bring up this particular point. But if a ransom has been paid for captives in order to be set free, um, it seems, as Owen says, very strange and improbable uh, that these captives, since it's universal, it's been done for every single person. In fact, um, the ransom theory would have to say that, since it's universal, that Christ. Ransom was paid for those Who were already in hell Um, But despite even that um, God obviously Perfect foreknowledge uh, Whatever your view of uh, Of God's decree is uh, If you believe you're not an open theist If you believe that God has perfect Comprehensive foreknowledge um, God Knew everyone For whom Christ Paid the ransom So that they could be set free so God knew many people would never hear and even know that their ransom has been paid so how is it that the captives for whom the ransom has been paid are never actually released or ever even uh, informed of the fact that their ransom has been paid um, and they have been set free. Uh, in fact, I wrote, and I'm going to look this up here real quick, so uh, bear with me as I poke through my Evernote here, um, in a recent um, debate I had with um, basically a, a Pelagian, uh, he, he admitted he was a Pelagian, so I'm not using that as a pejorative at all, he actually said he was a Pelagian. Um uh, a debate that I did and you can check That uh, it was back maybe about five Six episodes back um, It was uh, On uh, The doctrine of the perseverance of the Saints uh, No you know what it was not it was It was the Episode actually the last episode I Did where I was supposed to be uh debating Michael Yannette and he never showed. Uh, Never heard anything from him since actually. Um, But um, I had uh, written something down here which I want to read in reference here to um, the ransom theory here. So I'm looking here through my notes. So bear with me. Um, Let's see here. Um. Da, da, da. We're, we're professionals here so we, we do these things uh uh yes okay here it is uh this is something i wrote um uh for that debate uh, which never happened but you can go ahead and listen to the episode on it um it says here i wrote here uh, if the blood of christ ransomed all people and purchased the salvation of every single person who has ever lived And the only condition required of men to receive this great salvation is to believe, and believing is something that they are quite capable of. Why does God not make known to every single person who has ever lived that this salvation has been purchased for them by his dear son, and all they must do is believe to receive it? Why are so many people left in utter ignorance of their ransom being paid? And so that is really the question uh, that has to be asked of um, of someone holding to the exclusive view uh, of the Ransom Theory of the Atonement. Um, okay, so back to where we were at. Uh, let's go ahead and check. Um, let's uh, look at the Satisfaction Theory um, of the Atonement. And... Uh, Okay, so this theory states, and this is really Anselm of Canterbury's um, formulation of the satisfaction theory, Uh, this theory states that human sin takes away from God the honor that is due him. Christ in his death gave more honor to God than he was obliged to give. Therefore, he had excess, surplus, merit. This surplus of merit can be used to pay our deficit of honor. So we have an honor deficit due to God because of our sin. Christ pays the honor to God instead of us paying. The honor taken away must be repaid or punishment must follow. By Christ satisfying our debt of honor to God, we avoid punishment. And so that is Anselm's uh, view summarized uh, of the atonement, and it is really uh, his view and Aquinas' view of this is really the the primary Roman Catholic view of the atonement of Christ. Um, Aquinas modified the theory in contrast to Anselm. Instead of being an excess of merit of honor, uh, excess of the merit of honor due to God, the atonement was a punishment, so uh, is actually a punishment, uh, bore for sin, which is really closer to Uh, where the Reformers uh, ended up going, uh, that could be used to restore a fallen sinner to a state before God, where they could then work out the merits of their salvation through penance and the sacraments, which are also made efficacious uh, by the atonement. Um, So Aquinas uh, says in his Summa Theologiae, uh, it says, if we speak of the satisfactory, uh, of that satisfactory punishment which one takes upon oneself voluntarily, one must bear another's punishment. If, however, we speak of punishment inflicted on account of sin, in so much as it is penal, then each one is punished for his own sin only, because the sinful act is something personal. But if we speak of a punishment that is medicinal, in this way. It does happen that one is punished for another sin. So Aquinas actually denied uh, the vicarious penal substitution uh, work of Christ. And instead, he looked at it more as medicinal. Um, in fact, he said that uh, he basically denied that uh, vicarious in the place is even possible because he says here that um, each one is punished for a sin only because a sinful act is something personal. So no one else can be punished in place of that. I have uh, uh, Aquinas' work right back here, and I'm going to grab it, Um, his Summa Theologia, um, right beside uh, Norman Geisler's Chosen But Free. I'll let you guys go ahead and uh, um, get the joke there on your own. Um, So I have here a copy of the Summa Theologia, and I have a couple things I want to read out of here. Related to the atoning work of Christ. And uh, those of you Thomas out there. um, This is your man. So. uh, uh, Thomas says here. uh, Christ's suffering is the proper cause of our deliverance from sin first. Because it provokes love in us. And by love we obtain pardon for sin. So we see a little bit there of uh, kind of the example. Um theory aspect secondly it ransoms us from sin so we see the ransom here Uh, for Christ is our head and his suffering endured in love and obedience freed us his members from our sins as though they paid our ransom Um, Christ by his suffering set up a cause of deliverance from sin Um, set up a cause for deliverance from it was not the cause but sets up a cause it makes it a potential it makes it a, a possibility uh, Which could deliver men from sins of any once again, we see the the word could there it has the potential for doing that um, Deliver men from sins of any age past present future rather as if a doctor Were to make up a medicine by which any kind of future disease could be cured Christ's suffering is this general remedy curing sin But it needs to be applied to any person whose individual sins are to be wiped away. So it didn't actually wipe away their sins, but it's, it's, a, it's medicinal. In other words, this is where I, I read earlier his other quote, is that he denied a vicarious penal substitution. Instead, it's, it's more medicinal. Uh, this is done by baptism and penance and other sacraments, which derive their power from Christ's suffering. He also goes on uh, to say Christ's passion delivered us from our liability to punishment directly and indirectly indirectly directly in so much as his suffering made more than enough amends for sins of all mankind causing the liability to punishment to cease and indirectly in so much as his suffering caused deliverance from the sin which made us liable to punishment Christ's passion produces its effects Uh, In those to whom it is applied by faith and love in the sacraments of the of the faith those condemned to hell are not joined in that way to Christ's passion Uh, so do not perceive its effects so even though the atonement was for them they don't perceive its effects because they were not uh, joined um, in the in faith and Love and the sacraments uh, To his atonement So that is man's work That is required on his part To join himself uh, To this uh, work of Christ The the medicine of the atonement Uh, He goes on to say this Which is um, Quite astounding Uh, I would think for any Protestant Who claims to be a Thomas but um, A man who sins after baptism Must be configured to the suffering Christ by some penance Or suffering he bears himself Uh, though this can be much less be much less than the than his sin deserves since Christ amends work with it so a man so so Christ's work here doesn't propitiate does not atone for all of this man's sins if he has any sins after baptism He still must suffer himself uh, For them uh, Maybe not to the degree It says that it deserves uh, Because that degree is reduced Also by the, uh, the work of Christ But um, There you go That is Aquinas on the atonement So once again Going back Does this theory satisfy our question? Um, How does God remain just if he gives a guilty sinner a portion of the honor merit from Christ? This is really addressing First Anselm's view of the satisfaction theory from Christ when they are still guilty before him. How does God remain just if the atonement of Christ is not what actually perfects a sinner, but his continued obedience in his restored state? If Christ's work did not atone for all, of his sin how can god overlook the sin that was not atoned for and remain just which you know really brings us back to it we still have god simply overlooking sin uh, because christ's sacrifice did not take care of those sins did not eliminate them did not eliminate the consequence due to the person for them because he could still suffer for them even though christ's work was for him in particular um, it, did not, uh, it did not bring him peace with God It did not restore his state with God in any way And so um, I think uh, the satisfaction theory Really uh, collapses there also So the um, last theory we're going to look at Is the moral government theory And there's some uh, uh, popular Pelagians today That would hold to this view um, and this theory here would uh, ho- says that um, that Christ's suffering was a real and meaningful substitute for the punishment humans deserve, but it did not consist of Christ receiving the exact punishment due to sinful people. Instead, God publicly demonstrated his displeasure with sin through suffering uh, of his own sinless and obedient Son as a propitiation. Christ's suffering and death, served as a substitute for the punishment human beings might have received. Um, on this basis, God is able to extend forgiveness while maintaining divine order, having demonstrated the seriousness of sin and thus allowing his wrath to pass over. Uh, accordingly, according to the governmental theory of Christ's death, Theory Christ's death applies not to Individuals directly but to the church As a corporate entity Individuals then partake of the atonement By being attached to the church Through faith And so uh, some Arminians Hold to this and uh, Pelagians Um, Once again The answer to the question I believe Is insufficient how is God just If he simply displays his displeasure With sin on an innocent sacrifice Yet this sacrifice does not commute The guilt of any particular sinner um it'd be much like uh, a judge saying well you know there's there's this innocent man over here i'm going to go ahead and punish him i mean he's he's willing to take the punishment he willingly takes on the punishment for for sin and because i've demonstrated my displeasure towards people breaking the law with him uh now i'm going to go ahead and um i will be able to pardon people um Uh, For their violations of the law Uh, That's really a a summary there Of of really how the the view works Uh, Once again I I don't think that this maintains The justice of God really in any way Um, So the final one that we're going to look at And I think is the biblical view of the atonement Is uh, penal substitutionary atonement theory Uh, This theory says that Christ, by his own sacrificial choice, was punished, penalized, in the place of sinners, substitution, thus satisfying the demands of God, demands of justice, so God can justly forgive the sins. It is thus a specific understanding of substitutionary atonement, where the substitutionary nature of Jesus' death is understood in the sense of a substitutionary punishment. Penal substitutionary atonement means that the sin of the sinner is imputed to Christ, and he bears the penalty for that sin. Um, And really the only people that can consistently uh, hold to penal substitutionary atonement is Calvinists, um, who believe in particular redemption. So while there are confessional Lutherans And some Arminians that hold to it um, They uh, They cannot really consistently do so And we'll talk about that here in a little bit Um, If this theory of the atonement Is taken as universal Then there, there are two options First, either all people are universally saved Or if God still punishes a sinner Who has been atoned for By the vicarious sacrifice of Christ Then he is not just This view of the atonement can only be particular And in answer to our original question um, uh, Let me go ahead and switch the screen here Um, In answer to our original question God remains just and saves sinners He himself takes the punishment due to the sinner He takes the place of the guilty sinner And therefore expiates the punishment required for that sin And I think that this view really is the only one uh, that keeps a consistent view on the perfect justice of God and allows him to save particular sinners uh, with the work of Christ. Um, Michael Horton says in his book, uh, Pilgrim uh, Theology, a great, great book, I'd encourage you to get it, Um, He says that Christ's redeeming work Is unlimited in its ability To save everyone in the world Hence it is proclaimed to every human being As sufficient for his or her salvation Yet in accord with the eternal Covenant of the triune God Christ actually secured The redemption of the elect uh, With the atonement Um, In fact um, in The same book um, Horton quotes uh, two Arminian Theologians uh, One being uh, John Miley and the other, uh, uh, Lewis Sperry Schaefer. And uh, John Miley says this, uh, the penal substitutionary theory leads of necessity either to universalism, now this is an Arminian speaking here, uh, so if you're an Arminian out there, um, you believe in a universe, or an Am- emeraldite for that example, for that matter, um, if you deny particular redemption, um, this question is is for you, and uh, one that uh, um, even an Armenian here recognizes. Uh, the penal substitutionary theory leads, of necessity, either to universalism on the one hand, or unconditional election on the other. Uh, Miley observes that such an atonement, by its very nature, and by immediate result, forever frees believers from all guilt. As a liability to the penalty of sin Thus the nature of the atonement Is bound up with the question Of its extent In broad terms um, Three main answers have been given In church history and then Horton goes on to give those um, He also quotes uh, Lewis uh, Sperry who says most evangelical Protestants Hold to an Arminian view Expressed uh, expressed by Lewis Sperry Schaefer. Christ's death Does not save either actually uh, or potentially, rather, it makes all men savable, and that really is the difference between a universal and particular view of the atonement, and and a penal substitutionary view from a universal perse- perspective is really just um, untenable. So let's um, go on here and let's look at some scripture um, that really clearly lays out the vicarious substitutionary sacrifice and atoning work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In um, 1 Peter 2.24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So we see that he bore our sins. This is um, a personal um bearing of a particular people's sins he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness that is what he accomplished with that that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and by his wounds you have been healed um and then that great exchange verse um, Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, written by Paul, um, which uh, um, right here at the beginning here, it says, okay, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have there at the beginning, For our sake... Um, we have "huper uh, hamon." "Huper hamon." Uh, "Huper," if you look it up, is often translated and means um, "on behalf of," and so we see a vicarious substitution here in Second in Corinthians five twenty-one: "Huper hamon, on our behalf, in our place, um, he made him to be sin." Who knew no sin so the perfect Son of God who knew no sin Who per hemon became Sin in our place uh, For us so that In him we might become The righteousness of God so we See here double imputation Here we see the imputation Of our sin To Christ he bears the penalty For that he expiates That so that God No longer Um uh, must punish us for our sin If he does then God Is punishing two people for the Same crime uh, which is Unjust now it actually becomes unjust For God to punish us And in the same way um, It says so that In him we might become the righteousness Of God now If you've ever Contemplated as Luther did in Romans 1:17 the righteousness of God And what that actually means the Perfect of God becomes ours in Jesus Christ in his work and so all those who trust and believe in Christ will find him to be a perfect Savior who perfectly saves you and will take upon all your sin will expiate every sin that you have ever committed and will take them and he's taken those upon himself and he gives us the righteousness of God in exchange uh, that is just beautiful, and this these two verses here, I believe, sum up penal substitutionary atonement very, very clearly um, in Scripture. In Isaiah fifty three eleven, it says, "Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many." Notice here, uh, not all, but make many. To be accounted righteous He shall bear their iniquities We see it even in the Old Testament We see a substitutionary Penal substitutionary Sacrifice and atonement Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many And he shall divide the spoil with the strong Yet he poured out his soul Um, Here we see Jesus' human soul Poured out his soul to death And was numbered with the transgressors Yet he bore the sin Of many And made intercession for the transgressors We see in Matthew 121 um, that even the name Jesus means uh, For he will save his people from their sins Uh, A personal particular work uh, by Christ on our behalf uh, we see in First Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins The righteous for the unrighteous That he might bring us to God Being put to death in the flesh But made alive in the spirit So it was a one-time sacrifice This destroys the Roman Catholic Mass um, Eliminates it uh, And also penal substitutionary atonement uh, Particular redemption Limited atonement Is really the best and really only good argument Against the abomination of the Roman Catholic Mass Uh, It's the true apologetic against it Is that it is a one-time sacrifice The work of Christ is a one-time sacrifice That actually perfected those for whom it was made And so therefore no transubstantiation No calling down of the priest to re-sacrifice in a bloodless sacrifice, um, uh, Christ's flesh and blood again, um, uh, to be a propitiation for the sins of the people present, is, is destroyed. Um, and it's really the only true and good apologetic against the abomination of the Roman Catholic Mass. Uh, Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law By becoming a curse for us For it is written Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree In Isaiah 53.6 All we like sheep have gone astray We have all turned every one to his own way And the Lord has laid on him The iniquity of us all Our sins have been imputed to Christ Here we see the imputation again In the Old Testament In Hebrews 10.1 Um, And then one of my favorite verses here on the next page For since the law um, Has but a shadow of good things to come Instead of the true form of these realities It can never by the same sacrifices That are continually offered Every year make perfect Those who draw near So the continual sacrificial system Of the Old Testament Because it was never able to perfect those For whom it was made It was continually offered But Christ This is in contrast then to the work of Christ um, otherwise would they Not have ceased to be offered since the Worshippers having once been cleansed Would no longer um, Have any consciousness of sin but in These sacrifices there is a reminder Of sins every year so that's All they did they simply reminded of sins They didn't expiate any sins Where it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats To take away sin but let's look at now Just a few verses later down the same Chapter um, We see um the writer of Hebrews saying, "For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified." Christ did accomplish that. Uh, we see in Colossians 2:14, uh, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, these he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Uh, This is um, a question I love to ask Those who deny particular redemption Is when according to scripture Was our record of debt canceled Was it canceled when we believed Or was it canceled at the cross Paul says to the Colossians That the record of debt was nailed to the cross And it was canceled against us So if our If the record of debt against us Was canceled at the cross Then was it canceled for everyone? Was it wiped out for everyone? Or was it Was it canceled for a particular people? Um, In John 19.30 uh, When Jesus had received the sour wine um, He says it is finished Tetelestai um, Is the Greek word there Um, Often on uh, ancient documents, uh, receipt of payment uh, documents in Greek. It would be written when it was when it was paid in full. It was written to Telestai across the receipt. We can still find these today in archaeology. And so Jesus used this, uses this word um, just before he dies. It is finished to Telestai. Paid in full. The payment has been made. It is a completed work. It is a finished work. There is nothing left. For man to have to accomplish. In order to, um, to be perfected. It was all done in the work of Christ. Um, in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forth as a propitiation. By his blood. The word propitiation. Is. Um, Means a sacrifice that appeases uh, and atones for sin. Um, it actually accomplishes that. It is not a potential. It is not a probability that it'll happen. Uh, it is an actual. Um, it is an actual appeasement of uh, justice that is required. Uh, to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Isn't this our original question? This is the reason for the atoning, propitiatory work of Jesus Christ, so that God might remain just and be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And so that is the end of our presentation today. Um hopefully that was helpful uh to some of you out there um who may not have put a lot of thought into this yet. Um so I would encourage you, um, as I do with uh anyone else to search the scriptures as the Brians did, uh search them daily to see if these things are so. And so thank you for uh, joining us today. Um, uh, join us, hopefully next week. I'll put out another episode and um, and uh, we'll go from there. So Dale Valente, uh, Lord Willing, we will see you next week. God bless.
1: Don't you know that the unjust Will not inherit God's kingdom And through Adam's offense Condemnation came to man And